Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders, and we actually have some positive stuff to talk about with Ohio State men's basketball this week. So we are going to start off the show by talking about Ohio State basketball this week because it has certainly been an eventful week in Ohio State basketball, both on and off the court since we recorded last week's episode. It was just a, a couple hours after that episode actually went live that we got word that Chris Holtman had been fired as Ohio State's basketball coach. And so uh, we're going to start out by talking basketball today. We will get the football later in the show. Uh, Ohio State just had an interview session with James Laurinaitis and Matt Guerreri on Tuesday. Uh, James Laurinaitis, uh, that of course being the other big news of this past week as he was promoted James frickin' Laurinaitis, as Andy Andrews James. would say, was right, promoted to be Ohio State's 10th assistant coach, rounding out Ohio State's 2024 coaching staff. So a lot to talk to today. Let's get right into it with some basketball talk, Andy, because uh, you've been lamenting uh, about how uh, negative the vibes have been around Ohio State basketball. But there were some positive vibes for sure on Sunday as Ohio State pulled off its biggest win of the season, upsetting number two Purdue by a score of 73 to 39. And making that all the more interesting is the fact that it came in Ohio State's first game after it fired Chris Holtman, which, of course, the vibe around Ohio State for really the past six weeks, I would say, as, as Ohio State's tailspin through Big Ten play had continued, was... Ohio State fans were sick of Holtman, and they were ready for a change. Gene Smith decided to pull the trigger and make that change on Wednesday. He said at the time that he thought making a change could provide a spark for Ohio State basketball for the rest of the season, and he was proven right with how well the Buckeyes played in their first game under interim head coach Jake Diebler. Absolutely. You know, I, and I, I think that it was nice to hear – what Jake Diebler said the team was going to play like under him. He was going into it and it wasn't at all to, you know, dish on Chris Holtman. He's not going to do that to the guy who, you know, brought him on to Ohio state staff, kept him in there for so long. But um, just to hear that the plan was to tailor it to the way he coaches, the way he approaches the game is aggressive with a lot of pace, with a lot of intensity. And that's how they, came out and attacked the ball, especially on defense. Uh, you talk about forcing 14 turnovers and scoring 22 points off of those turnovers. I mean, Matt Painter said it afterward. That was the difference in the game. Uh, Zed Key doing his best uh, imitation of Swiper from Dora the Explorer there, uh, swiping the ball out of Zed Zach Eady's hands no less than five times, three of those resulting in steals. But really, uh, they had a great game plan for Edie in this game, even though he scores 22 points, turns it over six times in total, got swatted by Evan Mahaffey once, um, which was a cool sight to see uh, Evan Mahaffey getting a block in that situation. But, uh, you know, this this program had lacked that juice for so long. I'll say it, Dan, you know, I, I have more fun covering fun teams. I just do. Um, you know, I, it's it's not a partiality or a bias thing. It's a, you know, it's it, I enjoy writing about it when people enjoy reading it. And uh, it, it was great to have some fun content to write about this week and to talk about what a big second half it was from Jamison Battle. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Gene Smith was proven right in this move that neither of us expected, but ends up 
proving out to be the right move in the end to, to let go of Chris Holtman midseason and to see if Jake Diebler couldn't provide that spark that he provided. Uh, and he did. I mean, the, the team looked different. Um, there, there were a lot of things that they did in this game that I really liked um, that maybe you would have called to see earlier in the season. For one thing, the utilization of depth, because it's one thing to play at this aggressive tempo. It's another thing to sustain it and to have the legs to close a game down the stretch. And Ohio State ran 11 deep in this game. Nine players saw double-digit minutes, which is just something we weren't seeing from Chris Holtman's team uh, in the months before. I mean, we saw some depth play earlier in the season and, you know, against the mid-major opponents. Even in some of the bigger games, I felt there was more usage of Ohio State's bench. And, yes, the bench hadn't been producing the way some of them did, you know, Zed Key already pointed to Dale Bonner had a really good game. Uh, I thought Devin Royal gave him good minutes. There were a lot of good bench contributions in that game. You know, maybe that and there was foul trouble, too. But I, I just get the sense that this approach of rolling a lot of guys through so that the starters have the ability to sustain that aggressive pace throughout the game and keep it up in the final minutes is is, is something that they're going to stick with and i think something that's sustainable um because you know what they purdue came back in this game ohio state almost blew another lead it was 65 65 there toward the end and they were able to close it out they got the ball in bruce thornton's hands not dale bonner's hands in the final minute or two uh jameson battle scores the go-ahead basket he and bruce close it out with some clean free throw shooting and uh they pull off their biggest win of the season easily a monumental upset and you know just, if nothing else, a fantastic feel-good story for a basketball fan base that desperately needed one. If if Chris Holtman had been on the sideline and, and you were watching the second half of that game, would you have felt like Ohio State was going to lose that game? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's, again, not really trying to dump on the, the old guy, but it's just a reality of what we had seen throughout Big Ten play. We had seen Ohio State blow so many of these games in the second half, and we had seen so many times where when, when the other team went on a run, like that was it. Like the other team would go on a run, they'd take the lead, and Ohio State wilted from there. And that's what we did not see on Sunday. I think that's really what, I took away from that game on Sunday was, you know, pr Purdue, they're, they're one of the best teams in, in college basketball this year. We'll see if they do anything in March because they usually don't, but they're <laughs> always really good in the regular season. And they, you know, they, there were certainly times in that second half where Purdue made a run where Ohio State could have wilted and Purdue could have took that game over. But even just watching the game from home, like, I, I always felt in that second half, like, Ohio State was still in control. Like, Ohio State, like, you just got that vibe, like, even when Purdue came back and tied it late, that Ohio State was going to win that game. And it was just because they, they just seemed to be playing looser and with more confidence. And, and granted, I, I think it is easier to play with that nothing-to-lose mentality in the situation they are now, where the last six weeks they're probably all thinking, man, if we don't start playing better our, our head coach is going to get fired once that actually happens well then that's kind of a burden that's lifted off your shoulder because now nobody's expecting you to do anything you're going into this game nobody's expecting you to win this game and you can just kind of play free 
and, and play like you have nothing to lose. You know, now we have to see if Ohio State can sustain this. You know, you go into playing a pair of road games this week against Minnesota and Michigan State. We know Ohio State has lost 16 straight road games dating back to early January of 2023. So we have to see if Ohio State can sustain this. But certainly the first impression under Jake Diebler was, you know, very impressive. And you you wonder, is this something that can flip a switch for this team that can allow them to make that late surge in the season? Now, realistically, in terms of the NCAA tournament, it's still a very uphill climb for this team. I think, you know, if you're talking about a path to a tournament, you're probably talking about winning four of your remaining five regular season games and winning at least two games in the Big Ten tournament. Like they have to finish this season really strong if they're going to give themselves a chance. But the fact that I'm even saying this right now tells you how the vibes have changed in Columbus in just one week. Because, I mean, I looked in our forums, like minutes after that game on Sunday, there was already a thread about can Ohio State still make the NCAA tournament? Whereas for weeks it was like nobody even wanted to talk about the NCAA tournament because things are so bad and it was all just about fire Holtman. And so, it, it, like you said, you know, regarding, you know, Gene being proven right, I do believe that this coaching change provided a spark for this team. I, I don't believe Matt Painter when he said the score would have been the same even if Chris Holtman was a coach. And I, and I do think that he said that in the vein of not wanting to make an excuse for his team. But it's just reality that we saw a different Ohio State team on Sunday than what we had seen for weeks. And I think that speaks to the fact that it just wasn't working under, under Chris Holtman. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes from there. But I think the move has already been vindicated just by how well the team played against maybe the best team it will play all season in its first game with Jake Diebler. Yeah, uh, you know, the huge caveat, as you stated, to all of this is it's one game, right? How sustainable is it? We don't know. We don't know what it looks like next, but I think this Thursday game at Minnesota is going to be very telling um, because, you know, it's that road monkey that's been hanging on their back. This one, you were at home playing with nothing to lose, all that emotion, all that catharsis you want to get out after your head coach has been let go. I mean, it's still, even if it was the right move ultimately for the program, it's still a giant hardship on the players to go through that. And then you channel that emotion. Great. You know, you come up with this marquee win. I mean, these are memories that I'm sure the, the players will have for the rest of their lives. It's great, if nothing else, than for that. For the season, Minnesota, this game is, if you can actually finally deliver a road win, you talk about four or five, Dan, it looks pretty realistic to win three or four, three of four after that, given your first two results under Jake Diebler. Again, assuming you beat Minnesota. You got to go to Michigan State. That's tough. Even a down year for Michigan State. That's a quality team, a really tough environment. But then you get home game against Nebraska, quality team, beat you handily in Lincoln earlier this year, but you're at home. Uh, home game against Michigan, who's, you know, bottom of the Big Ten right now. That should be a win. Then you go to Rutgers, who is another team near the bottom of the Big Ten standing. So really, you know, you look at it and you say there's two games in there. You win one of them. And 
home against Michigan at Rutgers, assuming you're able to prove you can get it done on the road at Minnesota this Thursday, it does start to look like you could line yourself up for a shot at the NCAA tournament with good Big Ten tournament results. Uh, I think for me, it would take two wins to really put them in that conversation. And it helps when you have what will be probably the best win of any bubble team if you can get back into the bubble um, with that Purdue victory. Um, but, you know, again, it doesn't need to be understated how big this win was for shifting the momentum of the program and getting things going in that direction. And, you know, maybe now the confidence and the belief that it's a huge thing, especially in basketball. There's there's so much confidence in any sport that's important, but in basketball, it's especially like, you know, just making shots on a shot to shot basis. It's, it's Confidence is so ingrained in the fabric of the sport that, you know, this is the kind of thing that can spurn on a run. Um, So I'm very, very interested to see what they do to back this win up on Thursday. Um, And maybe we'll see another big performance from Jamison Battle. He had a season high 25 points against his former team the last time they played back in December. That was an Ohio State win, um, which has been rare in Big Ten play, but uh, maybe they'll become less rare now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, I, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it's like we talk, you talk about like the possibility of winning four out of the last five regular season games. Like when you look at the schedule, it really doesn't seem that far fetched. You know, I mean, if, if let's say we set the over under at three and a half wins right now for Ohio State for the rest of the season, regular season, like would I take the over on that? Probably not. Like, I'm probably not going to make that bet just because, uh, you know, what the team's record has been for the most part in Big Ten play. But I, I do think that, you know, there's a feasible road. I'm going to go ahead and say I do think they end the road losing streak this week. I don't know which game, but I, I'm going to I'm going to say they do it. I think they win at least one of those two games and end that road losing streak. And then, like you said, it's, you know, can you finish? you know, two very winnable games at home against Nebraska and Michigan. And then can you go on the road, beat Rutgers at the end of that? If you, if you can do all of that, you will go into the big 10 tournament with a chance. You know, with that, we'd have to see what the picture looks like in three weeks to know how much of a chance that is. But, you know, so you're saying there's a chance, like there's a chance. It's, it's not a great chance. There's still a lot that has to happen, but, there's not there's a chance and i think that's the big thing is a week ago at this time when we were sitting here it felt pretty hopeless for this team you know you know even after you know the wisconsin game that ultimately proved to be the final straw like that was far from the worst loss that chris holtman had this year but you know i can also think back to watching the end of that game and there's a minute left in the game and they're only down eight or nine and it was like they just totally gave up and I, I, I wonder how much that might have factored into the ultimate decision that Gene Smith made because it just felt like, you know, it just felt like a broken team. Like they didn't have that belief in themselves that they could win those kind of games anymore. And, and like you said, belief is a big thing in college basketball. And it feels like the team has that again. Now we'll see if they could sustain it. Absolutely. You know, and watching the end of that Wisconsin game and the more I reflect back on it, 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 the more it makes sense that it was the timing of the firing. And again, it wasn't the worst loss they've had this season under Chris Holtman, but um, just the, 
the end of that game and the feeling just like that there wasn't even a real concerted effort to win it. Like that's how broken they were in terms of their belief that they could actually close a game on the road like that is, is like, you know, they, they didn't really push to extend the game down the stretch. They didn't have that urgency that you needed to see on offense, taking shots earlier in the shot clock to try and get back in the game. It just, it, it didn't have that feel to it. And they had that urgency again against Purdue. And that's what you really loved to see. And, and, and how great for Jake Diebler. I mean, he's at least setting himself up to be a head coaching candidate at maybe a mid-major school this year. Ross Bjork's going to want to come in and hire his own guy um, within all likelihood. Jake doesn't have, you know, previous head coaching experience that he can pull upon. Uh, really, in a lot of ways, wouldn't make a lot of sense for Ohio State to hire. I think there is a scenario, but it would be a miracle scenario that gets him into the discussion. I mean, you've got to think like Big Ten tournament victory, Sweet 16 run in the NCAA tournament at a minimum, probably Final Four realistically. I mean, look, these are things that you don't expect at all from this Ohio State basketball team, but that's what it would take to actually get Jake Diebler in the discussion because how much stock can you really put in one end of season run, right? There's there's a huge difference between maybe getting Ohio, this Ohio State team to the NCAA tournament against all odds and building a sustained program that can produce year in year out results, which is something that he's not had an experience doing. Um, there's the argument to be said that he could help keep some of the pieces Ohio State has together, um, which is one thing I think would help his case in again, this is in the case of something miraculous happening here, Dan, that I'm just like, you know, we're assuming Ohio State like wins the Big Ten tournament, goes to the final four. The one argument that Jake Diebler would then have in his pocket besides that result is hey these guys you bring in a new head coach you know you might see Bruce Thornton transfer out you might see some of these guys leave the program that are talented pieces if you they clearly have bought into what Jake Diebler is selling so if he's around again something miraculous happens but Putting that aside, because I, I, it is pretty out of the ordinary. I, I do think I should interject here, though. If, if, if this Ohio State team goes to the Final Four, Jake Diebler is going to be the head coach, okay? Like, I don't think right, it needs – you don't need to qualify it that much, okay? If he gets this <laughs> team to the Final Four, Jake Diebler's getting the job, period. Like, I mean, I mean, I think if this team makes the NCAA tournament, he gets into the discussion. Do I think he gets the job? No, but I think he gets into the discussion if this team makes the NCAA tournament. I think, I think regardless, he probably should get an interview for the job. I don't think that he is likely to be the hire for the job because it is a new athletic director coming in. He's not going to have that loyalty to the guys who are already on staff. And this is his first big hire. Like, I think as, coming in, making his first big hire, he's going to want to make a bigger swing. And I think a lot of people, donors, people, you know, people who might, I mean, you can assume that donors had a say in the timing of this firing with it coming in the middle of season, that people with money who might influence the next hire probably had a say in the decision to get rid of Holtman a week ago. They're going to have a say, certainly, in who ends up getting this job, too. And I don't necessarily anticipate that, you know, donors are, are going to be pushing to hire 
you know, the guy who's been on staff that's never been a head coach before. But that could change if 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 Ohio State finishes this season really strong. I do think he becomes a legitimate candidate for the job. It's you know you don't want to get ahead of yourself because of one big win, you know. So we definitely have to see how this thing plays out before we start talking about that. But you know, I I don't think it's he has to make a Final Four just to be in the discussion. I I think the bar is a little bit lower than that, but I. There is still a lot more of it would need to happen, I think, before he would really become a major candidate for a job. That's fair. Maybe maybe saying Final Four just to make it a discussion is a little far-fetched. But, uh, you know, to, to me, it's like that's what it would take to make it like him winning the job would take something like that. Is it, it, I guess I should say more. Is like I don't think if they were to say make the Sweet 16, and again, we're just talking in all hypotheticals here, but if they were to make the Sweet 16, I don't think that would ultimately get him hired as, a, as Ohio State's next head coach. Just one man's evaluation. It'd be better than Holtman ever did. It would be better than Holtman ever did. That's all, uh, you know, but uh, it would certainly be better than Holtman ever did. Um, but yeah, assuming, you know, Jake Diebler conversation aside, Dan, you know, obviously... There's a lot of names that you could look at for this Ohio State coaching job, and we, we've talked about it before. The big difference between if Ohio State is looking for a new basketball coach and if they're looking for a new football coach is if Ohio State were to move on from Ryan Day or something else were to happen with Ryan Day tomorrow, uh, there would be like five realistic candidates maybe to fill that job because it's one of the marquee jobs in the sport basketball ohio state's you know they're a high quality program they're revered a little bit they've been to a lot of final fours but you know they're not a blue blood and so really it's it's like throwing darts at a board in some ways guessing these names you know there's there's 30 some viable candidates out there probably a, a lot of people you could look at but i think one of the top ones you point to from my perspective is greg mcdermott there at creighton um i think he makes a lot of sense he was in the conversation for the hire last time. That was Gene Smith. Of course, this will be Ross Bjork. But what he's built and sustained there at Creighton makes him an attractive hire because he's proven he can do it at a major level uh, in a way that I think would make him really sustainable if he came in and implemented his system with uh, a major power five uh, team there. Uh, you know, I, I think that Dusty May was one that we both really liked there at Florida Atlantic turning that program around as quick as he did leading the owls to you know the biggest success they've ever seen and uh i think you know i really like rising prospects guys with high ceilings for this job i, I just think you know uh getting that young up-and-comer there's a certain juice about the program that can bring um you know chris gent is the one that probably has the most smoke around it right now uh, not a guy with a lot of college basketball experience um head coaching experience in general um longtime nba assistant uh but obviously ohio state ties uh decent background of coaching experience there you know with all those years as an assistant uh and, and you know a, a guy that i i think has some clear interest in the job would have some clear interest in the job so you know just just a few names to watch there lamont paris is one that you know has kind of faded a little bit here lately i think one that we expected to be involved in the conversation after how he's turned south carolina around made them one of the best teams in the sec after you know they were so downtrodden for a little bit uh but it seems like south carolina is gearing up to offer him a massive contract and maybe he's going to end up staying there uh but still a guy with ohio ties so um maybe just kind of on the back burner for now 
Yeah, I think, you know, those are some of the names certainly that we've heard a lot about. You know, it does seem like uh, with, with Chris Gent that, you know, maybe some, you know, influential people, people that uh, have money and, you know, are, are donors to the program, that maybe some of them uh, are, are pushing for Chris Gent as someone with Ohio State ties, you know, as a player for the Buckeyes, as an assistant coach under Fad Mata. I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of people around the program that, have ties relationships with him just based on his previous time at Ohio state. And so, you know, that makes him a popular choice for some people. I'm personally not in love with that idea because of the fact that he's never been a head coach at the collegiate level. I mean, he's been an NBA assistant, but his only head coaching experience was in the G league with the Bakersfield jam. And so I just don't know how well that translates to running a major college basketball program and I feel like Ohio State should be in a position where it should be hiring someone who is an experienced head coach who's proven he can do it at the collegiate level and you know because of that like I could see them swinging even bigger than trying to get someone from a Florida Atlantic or a Creighton I know one name that's you know come up as well as Sean Miller from Xavier and that's a name that I honestly do not think would really be in the conversation if Gene Smith was going to still be the athletic director next year because Sean Miller has some baggage. He, he was at Arizona when Arizona was implicated in the big FBI college basketball scandal that happened, and, and I just don't think Gene would want to touch that. But I think Russ Bjork might be more willing to. I think you know Ross has his history you know he, he he's he's someone who i think is a little more willing to take risks is a little more willing to take a chance on somebody who's maybe got some baggage with them and so uh you know i i think Sean Miller uh because of what he's proven he can be as a coach which is you know a very successful coach and somebody who has a lot of Ohio ties. I, I do think that he's someone who could certainly emerge as a candidate in this search. You know, there's other, there's other names as well. I mean, a Mick Cronin's a name that's come up. I, I do believe that, uh, you know, someone close to him has said that he doesn't think that Mick would be interested in the job, but we just saw Ohio state football hire UCLA's football coach away to be an offensive coordinator, which speaks to some of the issues that UCLA is having right now in terms of resources, finances, you know, things that can certainly impact their viability as a program, even as a blue blood in men's basketball. So could, you know, maybe Mick Cronin emerge as a candidate at, at Ohio state, you know, I don't, I don't rule it out. And then, you know, I think, you know, one name that, you know, a lot of people have, have floated as well that I think would be, you know, about that home run swing kind of higher would be Jay Wright from Villanova, who, uh, you know, won multiple national championships there. Uh, he's not currently in coaching because he's working for CBS as an analyst. And he has said that he doesn't want to get back into coaching. So probably a long shot, but if you think back to 2011 when Ohio State football was looking for a new coach, Urban Meyer wasn't coaching at the time. He was working in TV. He had said he was done with coaching, and we know how that turned out. So I think Jay Wright would be the kind of guy who, even if he says he's not interested in coaching, 
you make that call and you see if you can convince him to get back into coaching because he's certainly someone who has the resume uh, that you'd love to add if you're Ohio State. Absolutely worth the phone call. You know, I, you got to you got to at least give that a shot if it's out there and um, certainly would be a giant home run swing for Ross Bjork to try and make in his uh, first hire there as athletic director. I think you mentioned um, you mentioned Sean Miller as one that Ross Bjork you could see hiring and not someone you would see getting hired under Gene Smith. I think another name in that vein is Nate Oates at Alabama. Um, you look at the success he's achieved with the Crimson Tide and, and not being a program that's a traditional basketball power similar to Ohio State, much more of a football school. Um, but, you know, there has been some scandal around the Alabama program, too, in his tenure. Uh, one of his former players is implicated in a murder case uh, right now. That's still playing out in court. But the... Um, it's it's another person that you know Ross Bjork is willing to take these kinds of risks and bring um, look look at these kinds of candidates that maybe weren't necessarily guys Gene Smith would have looked at, but guys that uh, still could be very good coaches and um, you know at least maybe take a look at those. You, you know, I, I think as far as in-state guys goes, Anthony Grant's another one from Dayton that that would make some sense uh, here uh, and uh, another great. Uh, man of great character who's done fantastic things at Dayton. Now Dayton's actually a fantastic location for coaches. So I'd be interested to see if he'd even be willing to leave that. Cause that's um, they, they are all about basketball in that community. That is an obsessed basketball community there at Dayton, a very diehard fan base and uh, a school that has a very proud basketball tradition. So um, he might even be hard to pull away from that. Although Ohio States would put, be able to put more resources and a lot more at his disposal than Dayton could just just by nature of being such a bigger school and uh, with that alumni base and uh, that money behind it uh, you know I, but we shouldn't expect a decision on this until after the season ends of course you know I, I think the timing of this is has been laid out pretty well by Gene Smith the coaching search really I mean they're going to start evaluating guys they want to look at right now but it's not actually going to start in terms of the hiring process, interviews, those sorts of things until after the season because coaches still want to lead the current teams they're with and see how far they can take them down the stretch of this year. Uh, and so Ohio State's really not going to get the ball rolling in terms of identifying and us figuring out you know, who the actual legitimate candidates in this search are until the season is over with. Um, and then, you know, Ross Bjork will be on campus. He arrives in March. Uh, he'll be able to kind of sift through and, and start to really make some headway in terms of identifying who the man is to lead Ohio State's program forward. Um, and I'm really excited because it's his first hire as Ohio State's athletic director. We'll get to see his process and what candidates he looks at. How much does he give Jake Diebler a chance after uh, the whatever run he ends up going on if he goes on a run? So uh, all interesting things to see there. Yeah, I don't really expect a resolution on the coaching search until late March or maybe even April, because it, a lot of it's going to depend on if, if you're going after a coach who's got his team in the NCAA tournament, which, you know, good chance that's the kind of coach that Ohio State's going to be looking for as someone who's leading an NCAA tournament team right now. You're going to have to wait until that coach's team is done in the NSA tournament. And so, you know, I, I do think that, you know, this is going to drag out for a while. I don't think it's going to be one of those coaching searches that is over just like that. I mean, if you were going to go get a Jay Wright, maybe you could do it sooner, but I think 
uh, more than likely, you know, this surge isn't really going to heat up until like mid to late March. And then, you know, probably sometime in that late March, early April timeframe is when Ohio State will actually move to make a hire for a new head coach. No, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be very, again, it's going to be a great time to cover uh, Ohio State basketball just in terms of interest and what's the direction of the program look like. Um, I'm pretty excited to break it down, but, you know, we, we also have plenty of football stuff going on here. Dan uh, got to meet Ohio State's two uh, newest assistant coaching hires, not named Chip Kelly, uh, obviously, uh, on Tuesday here. Uh, got to talk to James Laurinaitis since first being promoted to be Ohio State's linebackers coach. Matt Guerrero brought in to coach safeties. Um, so, you know, what, what was your first impression, your, your first uh, standout there, uh, the first talking point you want to hit for, for coming out of this stand? Obviously, both these guys have been around at Ohio State, so they're not exactly, you know, unknowns here. Uh, James Laurinaitis was at Ohio State last year as a graduate assistant. Matt Guerrero was at Ohio State two years ago as an analyst slash advisor. But... You can certainly see why Ohio State wanted both of these guys to be a part of the staff when you talk to them. They're both, you know, very knowledgeable guys. Obviously, James Laurinaitis has, uh, you know, an incredible resume as a player. He's one of only eight three-time All-Americans in Ohio State history. He went on to play for eight years in the NFL. And so that gives him instant credibility, uh, both, you know, as a coach and as a recruiter. Um, and, and I think, you know, listening to both of those guys talk, you know, w you could really get the sense of how both of those guys are going to recruit players and why their coaches who recruits will want to play for. And, you know, specific to Laurinaitis, I, I thought his comments about recruiting uh, you know, were very interesting because he said it's really not difficult for him to recruit because he can simply speak to how Ohio State has helped him. I try to be an ambassador of Ohio State. I love this school. It's changed my life. Um, it's done wonders for me and my family to play here, uh, recruit your position at the school you went to, at the place that you love. It's so natural. And so you know, when, when you're explaining it to people, like, I'm sure there are some coaches have to come off as car salesmen, like, there ain't none of that because I've lived it. And I think that's a huge benefit when you're talking to young people trying to convince them to come to your school. It's like, this is what it did for me. And the fact that I'm not from Ohio, I give another, that's a whole other perspective when you're talking to kids not from Ohio. Um, but now that I've been through here and the brotherhood has obviously accepted me and Buckeye Nation is so incredible, it's like, there's a reason why I'm why I'm here because I love this place and I want to raise my girls around this place because of how special it is and how it changed my life and I know it can change all these other young men's lives. I think authenticity is something that people gravitate toward in general. Um, when you can sell something like that, and you know, he he mentioned not wanting to be a salesman, but what I mean is, you know, I, I think he can give a pitch to a high school recruit that's from a place that's real for him. You know, it's clear that James loves and cares about Ohio state. 
Um, it's clear that he believes it's a great place for young men to go and develop as football players, as people. And so when he says it's just natural for him to go out and recruit uh, in this position, I fully believe it. You know, I, you, you can hear it in his voice and um, there's, there's a real passion behind what he's saying there. Uh, I, I think that's a fantastic clip just to, just to really show what James could be capable of as a recruiter for Ohio State. Yeah, and I just think, you know, all, all the way around with, with James Laurinaitis, I mean, I think we both agree, you know, this just makes sense. This this is a right hire for Ohio State. You know, they, they're, you know, there were talks about, you know, bringing in a second defensive line coach. And if they could have gotten a Jason Taylor, then, yeah, you, you, you probably do that. You know, he would have been a, a natural. He would have also made a big impact on the recruiting trail, and, and he would have been a natural successor to develop behind. Larry Johnson. You know, there was some talk about, you know, filling that vacancy with another special teams coach. And there's still that question of, you know, who's going to lead the special teams coaching. But, you know, I think we both agreed it wasn't really a need per se for Ohio State to add another special teams coach. But, you know, there's plenty of programs that have been successful splitting up those duties between other position coaches. And so, uh, you know, based on the fact that Ohio State didn't have a ton of success on special teams when it had a dedicated special teams coach. There, there wasn't really a need to commit that position to someone specifically for special teams. And so I think to, to give jo James Laurinaitis the opportunity to now be a full-scale recruiter for Ohio State, I, I think that's huge. Uh, you know, I think even if they didn't make this promotion, like he was going to have an integral role coaching the linebackers this year because he already did last year. He still could have been a graduate assistant for another year, but you know, he said it when he got to Ohio state last year, you know, my goal is to be the best linebacker coach in the country. So this is something he wanted. If, if they didn't hire James Laurinaitis, you put yourself at risk of losing him to another school. And he mentioned that too, in terms of recruiting when he was, you know, going to recruit players last month after Parker Fleming was fired, you know, that's something schools would use against him is that, you know, he's not a full-time linebacker coach. He could be gone at any time. He might not even coach you. So now that he's on the staff, he's going to be able to have a much bigger impact as a recruiter. While, you know, I think his upside as a coach is extremely high. I mean, it's very easy to draw that comparison between him and Brian Hartline, but I think it's an apt comparison because they, they both come from very similar backgrounds. You know, they, they, they played at Ohio state at basically the same time. They both went and they had good NFL careers. And then, you know, they, they both kind of, you know, I mean, Brian Hartline, I think he was only in his second year of coaching when he got promoted to wide receivers coach, but they, they've both kind of had a similar path to this point And, you know, the things you talked about, about like him not wanting to be a salesman, we've heard Brian Hartline say those same things before about he's not trying to just, you know, cock a sales pitch. He just wants to, he just wants guys who want to come play for Ohio State. And I think, you know, James Laurinaitis has a lot of those same attributes. And so I think the upside of this hire is really high. And I think the potential downside of losing James Laurinaitis if you didn't make this promotion was not worth whoever else you were going to potentially bring in to fill that temp spot. 
You don't let James frickin' Laurinaitis walk out that door. That's right, Ohio State. Now, um, kidding aside, uh, this is, again, it's a hire that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think when you heard Jim Knowles talk about it uh, during Cotton Bowl prep, how much that he felt it was a necessity to keep James on board, um, I, I think that's huge. And another element of this, too, is, and this is something actually Matt Guerreri touched on today, is that it now allows Knowles to be a roaming coordinator. He doesn't have to spend his time as the linebackers coach because they have a linebackers coach. He can, hey, if, if, if we're installing a new coverage package for Maryland today, I can go be with the safeties. I can go be with the corners and show them that, hey, if, if, if we want to install this fancy new blitz I've drawn up, I can involve myself with the defensive linemen as well as the linebackers to implement that. You know, it allows him to have more of a broad scoping view over the entire defense. And this goes into something you pointed out, Dan. You know, I think you look at the balance of this Ohio State coaching staff uh, and how it's structured right now, offense versus defense. I think we've seen in the past some of Ryan Day's assistant coaching lineups kind of lean more towards the offensive side of the football in terms of numbers, in terms of structure. Now it's very balanced just looking at um, you have a proven coordinator who's kind of the head coach of that side of the ball on both sides, Chip Kelly and Jim Knowles. Then you have uh, someone who's like your star go-getter, lands five stars, develops at an elite level. That's Brian Hartline. That's Tim Walton. You have your guys who have some veteran experience in the scheme of the coordinator um, and, you know, kind of more younger on the on that side of things, too, is uh, in Justin Fry and then James Laurinaitis. And then you have or not James Laurinaitis, Justin Fry and Matt Guerrero. <laughs> James Laurinaitis does not have previous experience in the little scheme other than his year as a graduate assistant last year. Matt Guerrero, um, giving all his experience coming in. And then uh, the up-and-comers being James Laurinaitis and Keaton Bailey there. Um, veteran guys being Larry Johnson and Tony Alford, those sort of stalwarts of the program. Uh, just the, the symmetry between now how Ohio State's offensive assistant coaching staff is structured and its defensive assistant coaching staff is structured. Um, it, it's cool, um, and it's, I think, a good way forward for the program because both sides of the ball are equally important. You know, that, that's kind of how football works. So um, I, I, I think that is a really cool symmetry for Ohio State to have and, and that balance of, you know, coaching staffs on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and I mean, it almost felt outsized toward the offense in past years because you had Ryan Day, who was the offensive play caller, and you had more assistance on the offensive side of a ball. So, it, you know, that math didn't always seem to add up correctly. Now, even with that said, you had Ryan Day, five offensive assistants last year. You had four defensive assistants, and the defense was way better than the offense. So, you know, the balance of the numbers doesn't guarantee anything or mean anything. I do think it helped in the sense that James Warnice was almost like a fifth assistant on defense last year, even as a graduate assistant. I think that certainly helped, but you know, you can only be a graduate assistant for so long. So in order to keep that going, you had to promote James Laurinaitis and make him a full-time member of the staff. And that's now what Ohio state has done. I, I think, you know, even though James Laurinaitis is a first time full-time position coach, it almost feels to me like Matt Guerrero is the guy who has more to prove because of the fact that 
Ohio State made a conscious, you know, nobody questioned the decision to fire Parker Fleming because Ohio State special teams were not up to standard. It was easy to question the decision to fire Perry Eliano because Ohio State's passing defense was number one in the country last year. And so, you know, now it's the question of why is Matt Guerrero an upgrade over Perry Eliano? But I do think there's a couple things that you can look at and see why they wanted to make that change. And I think one goes back to what you said about Matt Guerrero being a veteran of Jim Knowles's scheme. I went to the uh, Ohio High School Football Coaches Association clinic last week uh, in Columbus, and, and he was one of the featured speakers there. And I was very impressed uh, by you know his presentation. And I think the thing that really stood out to me watching that presentation were a couple things. One, it's clear he knows Jim Knowles' defense inside and out. He knows, even though he wasn't at Ohio State last year, he knows that defense. He knows its personnel inside and out. Listening to him, you would not have guessed that he was coaching at Indiana last year because he was talking as though he had been there all along. So you can tell he just really knows the scheme, the personnel that he's working with. And I think it, it makes for a very natural transition for him coming in, even though he wasn't at Ohio State last year. And then I think he does a really good job of, of teaching that scheme too. You know, everything that he was explaining, um, it, it was very easy to understand. And, you know, a lot of times when I go to those coaches clinics, when I'm listening to the coaches, a lot of times I go, okay, like how well can I understand this? Cause like, you know, I'm not Kyle Jones who we had on the show last week. Like I'm not like nitty gritty X's and O's are not like super my thing. Like admittedly there's times I've gone to those coaches clinics and listen to a coach speak and my eyes kind of glaze over because I just don't know what they're talking about. Like it's, it's over my head. It, it's, it's too advanced for me. And I just lose interest when I was watching his presentation. Like I understood everything he was saying, like he made it very clear. He, he, you know, he broke down. It was like a, it was a presentation, like each of Ohio state's winning edges. And they have like 15 of them. And then he had like different clips for each one to kind of illustrate like how they implement this into the program and, and why it's something that, that they value. And it all, you know, made a lot of sense to me. He did a really good job of, of breaking it down in that way. And that's important because you're working with 18 to 22 year old players. You're not working with seasoned NFL veterans. So when I'm at those clinics, I kind of want to look at it and say, okay, like how well is this coach going to be able to explain this concept to an 18-year-old freshman starting his college football career. And in listening to Matt Guerrero, I got the sense that he's someone who's able to do that, and I think he can really be an asset to Jim Knowles in terms of working alongside him and helping him install his scheme, which is a big reason why he was initially brought to Ohio State as a senior analyst back in 2021. And then, you know, going back to the recruiting side of things as well, I, I think that's another area where they were looking for more than what they got out of Perry Eliano because Perry Eliano missed on a few key targets. You know, he missed out on KJ Bolden, even though KJ Bolden was his cousin. He also missed out on Caleb Downs the first time around. And granted, Ohio State was very close in that recruitment, but Matt Guerrero comes in and nine days later, they land Caleb Downs after he entered the transfer portal from Alabama. So that's certainly a good first impression uh, of, of what, Matt Guerrero uh, can be as a recruiter. And, and he talked a little bit more uh, today as well about his philosophy on recruiting. 
Yeah, for sure. I think it starts with relationships, real authentic relationships. You know, I think there's a lot of flash and different things that happen from a recruiting standpoint, um, but it's about building real authentic relationships. You know, your job as a coach, the old stage coach, right, is it took someone from where they were to a desired destination. It starts in the recruiting process. Are you able to build authentic relationships and trust to be able to take that young man who's a freshman or sophomore in high school and be able to, over time, get them to where they want to be able to be and obviously in turn Ohio State gets to where they want to be able to be so I think real authentic relationships is where it starts I didn't know about that origin of the word coach until today Dan that was a very fun uh very fun pearl for for Macarary to drop there I'll, I'll have to drop that bit of knowledge on my friends at some point um but you know it was impressive just to hear his approach as you know compare it to James Laurinaitis who isn't you know he doesn't have that playing experience that James has where James can say, yeah, I did this. I did it at an elite level. I made, you know, money. I made a life for my family doing it. But Matt has an ability to cultivate close relationships. And I think, you know, just seeing the reaction of someone like, you know, the excitement around some some of the players when he was hired too, on just even on social media was uh, was good in that regard. Um you could tell he's good at cultivating relationships about implementing this, um, about explaining things. You know, you, you had mentioned what you saw from him at the coaches clinic. Um, and a lot of it comes from his experience in this scheme, not just coaching under Jim Knowles, which he has, you know, done for seven years previously, but he ran it. He ran the system at Duke. Um, after Knowles left to take the Oklahoma State coordinating job, he was co-defensive coordinator. Guerrero was there at Duke. Um, now his results were mixed to be uh, to, to to paint it in a in a favorable light. Uh, when he was co-defensive coordinator, his last year at Duke, Duke was ranked dead last in the country for total defense and fourth to last in scoring defense. Um, then that that was his last season coordinating at Duke, his fourth and final, uh, before he came to be Ohio State's uh, senior advisor slash analyst. But Ohio State isn't asking him to scheme up the defense. Jim Knowles has done a mighty fine job of that uh, the last two years, really, but especially last year uh, when, you, you know, top three defense in college football last season. From as, as bad as maybe some of those results were at the end of his time at Duke, having coordinating experience in this scheme, or at least a similar scheme, uh, is invaluable. It, it allows you to, hey, this didn't work for us. Hey, this worked for us. You know, that extra voice that Jim can kind of bounce ideas off of and that ability to then explain it to the players and get them to grasp, hey, this is what you're looking for on this play. And it's with a group of guys who will also have a lot of experience in this scheme. A lot of Ohio state starters this year, this is going to be their third year playing in this defense. And so I just think the level of conversation that can occur between Jim Knowles and McGarry and then be relayed to these really, to these experienced safeties or someone as talented as Caleb Downs, um, who, you know, he's obviously, this is going to be his first year in the defense, but he's learning quickly from, from all reports. And, and Matt Gray touched on that a little today too, but his experience in this system is going to be advantageous for Ohio state um, in teaching and in implementing its scheme, I think. And he touched on that a little bit today too. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, efficiency first, you know what I mean, to be able to be on the same page. Um, and then I think also knowing what it came from helps too, right? If you know the history of something, then the, you can tweak the end product in a way that, hey, we've done this before, right? Ah, we dabbled with that and it didn't really work, you know, that, that type of stuff. So I think to, to be able to have that history and uh, experience with him will go a long way. Now, of course, James Laurinaitis and Matt Guerreri are going to have a big say in which players are going to be playing big roles in their position groups this year. And one player who could potentially end up in either of their position groups is Sonny Styles. And so we were certainly interested to hear what both of them had to say about Sonny Styles today and not really any clear answer on where Sonny Styles is going to play this year in terms of whether he will be a safety or whether he will be a linebacker. But, you know, James Laurinaitis did bring up uh, the name Isaiah Simmons when he was talking about Sonny Styles. And I thought that was an interesting comparison because I've, I've, you know, thought of that comparison myself before in, in terms of being that kind of, you know, hybrid linebacker safety who can move all over the field. And so, whether Sonny, whether or not Sonny Styles will end up being a full-time linebacker is still in question, but this certainly does seem to be an interest in James Laurinaitis in terms of potentially getting to work with Sonny in some of the things that he does in Ohio State's defense this year. Is there a chance Sonny's going to move down the linebacker? I think that's a question probably above me, but I, I think Sonny has such a rare skill set in the sense that you saw it some a little bit where he would play kind of the overhang last year. You didn't really know what he was. Is this a safety, right? Or is this more of an outside backer? You know, is he an old school Sam, you know, <laughs> to use those terms? He's just so versatile. And so I think there's a lot of different roles that we can kind of put Sonny in to kind of bring out the best in him. I think with his body size and his age, um, when you try to project him forward, he's kind of in that um, Isaiah Simmons mix, if you remember that name, where you're like, what really is he? You know, is he a safety? He's, a, he's just a weapon. Um, and so I think that's something that we have to kind of evaluate this spring, is kind of where to put him to not only best suit what we want to do as silver bullets, but also what's best for his future. It was interesting to hear that because I think McRary's comments were very similar vein, uh, just that... Sonny is a very versatile athlete. We've talked about that in the past plenty. Um, I, I think we would like to see him in a role that sees him around the box because I think that's where his best plays have been coming from is, is near and around the box where he can impact things, where he has more favorable coverage matchups for him, I think, against tight ends, running backs, uh, not true receivers per se. Um, and I, I really think he could be a very interesting chess piece for this defense to move around and fulfill different roles, you know? Um, and so where exactly he lines up, how the coaching staff ramps up to implement that um, is one of the most interesting storylines for the spring and then for the off season uh, beyond that, even uh, for Ohio state this year, as they try to exactly figure out what the pieces of this elite defense are going to look like. And I think, you know, another player that people have a lot of interest in going into this spring is CJ Hicks. And his development is going to play a part in what Sonny Styles' role looks like this year because that will linebacker spot right now next to Cody Simon is open. We've speculated maybe Sonny Styles moves down into that spot. But CJ Hicks is certainly another guy who's a candidate to get that spot. And, you know, James Laurinaitis. Uh, spoke very positively on C.J. Hicks today and 
indicated that you know he really wants to see CJ Hicks have a big spring, and he's hopeful that that starting job actually being opened up and CJ having the opportunity to potentially seize a starting job for the first time might help him take his game to a new level this offseason. CJ has all the potential in the world. He does. And um, I think sometimes he's just got to, he's just got to cut it loose and go play. And I think a lot, I think honestly, I expect a big spring from CJ. I think he, with the way he has attacked this offseason workouts, um, the way he's carried himself, I expect him to take a jump. And look, some, for some guys, it's easy to come in right away and just go and play. And for some, it takes a little bit more development. But I think CJ's getting to a point where uh, hopefully this spring there's a lot of growth. And, and maybe some of that will come with just the fact, hey, this position is for the taking, right? Like, and I think some guys thrive on that. And we'll find out kind of how he reacts to it. But I'm a big fan of CJ Hicks. I always have been. Because I think, he, like you said, he has such a raw um, and rare kind of skill set to where he can just physically, he has so many traits that you love, you know, at the linebacker position. It's good to hear James continue to, you know, rave about CJ's athleticism there at the end because, you know, I, I think that's that's still something that people hold on to with CJ being that five-star talent, being that elite running back in addition to linebacker that he was in high school. The athletic traits have always been evident with him, the quickness, the burst, uh, the strength, the things that, you know, again, physically make for a great linebacker. But there's a huge mental side to this of playing linebacker that it's clear CJ hasn't been where he needed to be. Um, it wasn't where he needed to be this past season to make a meaningful impact for Ohio State. And so can he take that next step starting this spring? Um, and, you know, hearing that motivation factor, too, could be a real thing. Um, always, you know, when you're battling to try and win a position that's going to ignite another fire under you. Um, and I think even people that maybe have played high school football can relate to that. You know, the, the year that like the, the senior that was in front of you graduates and now all of a sudden you could be the starter next season. There, there, there is something to that for sure. Um, I, uh, I still, I, you know, I, I think back to though, to when I asked um, Mickey Marotti last off season about who was standing out the most to him in workouts. And he pointed to CJ Hicks and his maturity. Um, I, I, I just wonder where, the steps exactly are that he needs to take. Where is he lacking? I mean, it's clearly not in the physical department. Uh, where in the mental side of the game is he coming up short? Because, uh, I, again, it's it's just it's still weird to sit back here and think about when Ohio State signed him, you know, thinking that he was going to be an impact guy really quick. And now it's like, well, he's going to be he's going to have to battle for playing time and actually prove it out this season. Um encouraging things there from James, I think, from the CJ Hicks perspective, but also, you know, CJ's got to go out and he's got to earn it and prove it and live up to that five-star rating uh, this offseason. Yeah, James Ornitis also mentioned Gabe Powers and Arvell Reese as two guys who he's looking forward to watching this spring. So it seems like those three and then maybe Sonny Styles are going to kind of be the guys battling for that starting job. James did say his hope is to have you know, four guys in a rotation who are really all playing because 
you are looking at that possibility of playing as many as 16 or 17 games this year with playoff expansion. You know, he said his hope would be to be able to play four guys regularly over the course of a season. Mentioned even back to last year that maybe Cody Simon should have been playing a little bit more than he was earlier in the season. At the same time, though, James said, if we have only two guys who are ready to play, then those will be the two guys who are ready to play. So, you know, Cody Simon, we know he's going to be that starting Mike linebacker. The question is going to be who else earned playing time at that linebacker position. And that's all going to start to be determined in two weeks because we are now less than two weeks away from the start of spring practice. First day of spring football is March 5, and we will be there. Uh, NFL scouting combine coming up next week. So we'll preview both of those two things on next week's episode, uh, spring football. NFL combine and we'll see how things progress over the next week for Ohio State basketball and if we continue to have uh, positive things to talk about there on the men's basketball side uh, women's basketball they're still rolling ranked number two in the country Uh, women's hockey they just won a conference title this weekend it was actually it was a really good weekend in Ohio State sports I, I believe Ohio State put the stats out there but Ohio State's teams that competed across all sports over the weekend went 19 and one. That's, that's pretty good. So uh, lots of good vibes in Ohio State athletics right now. We will see if those continue and we'll be back next week to talk about it all on Real Pod Wednesdays.